Okay, uh, as promised, here is part two of Lumen in conversation with myself and Superchani. Um, as discussed, this is a look at TM Tour, a little bit maybe teaching you stuff you already know about what TM Tour is and what Snellman is, but hey, uh, and looking at TM Tour playing in Division One and a bit of a discussion of um, the meta and stuff. Uh, again, a bit of a long one. I hope that's all right. My microphone's a little bit choppy at some points. Again, sorry, but I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Uh, okay, so you're playing TM Tour before playing like Board Game Arena or anything like that. Is that correct? Yes, yes. I was a Snellman player before a Board Game Arena, a Terra Mystica player. Oh, so Snellman. Uh, I was going to ask you, like, what is Snellman for the benefit of BGA people? It's a stripped-down version of Terra Mystica, where if you don't care about graphics and just care about Terra Mystica gameplay, it's a great platform to play asynchronous Terra Mystica. Is that fair? Do you think? Yeah, I'd I'd agree. It, yeah, it's it's yeah stripped down, which in some ways I think makes it far better for async for people who really want to learn the game and how to be good, and don't necessarily care about you know the graphical or that side of board gaming, or at least for Terra Mystica. Yeah, I'd agree. That's the thing I I always say about Snellman is if you if it puts you off at first persevere and after a game you'll be used to the interface and you'll be using the text commands and then mm-hmm. you'll sort of i don't know you'll come to realize that it's a better way of playing async i think <laughs> than loading up a, a bga website on your mobile phone every time you want to make a move or whatever no i agree i actually played my first asynchronous terra mystica on board game arena very recently and i miss having the planner i want the planner yeah, on Snellman, where I can input moves ahead of time, and I'm sure we'll get into this more. But that's using the planner somewhat efficiently. I think is a big key for me to doing well in these TM Tour games. Okay, okay, yeah, we're talking to you, Super, you BGA boy. Yeah, is Snellman um, designed only for turn-based for async games? Correct. Right. Um, I quite recently started playing on board game arena turn-based games i've got like 10 of them right now playing and i was curious is it hard for people in general to transition to snowman after playing on board game arena it should be easier right i think it would be pretty easy because the same hex names are used uh if you're playing on oh this is really silly thing to say aloud if you're playing on Two of the four maps, the hex names are the same. <laughs> if you're playing on maps where the top row has 12 hexes instead of 13, the hex names are different. <laughs> and you don't, uh, and I think this might be a point of confusion, uh, but the awkward nomenclature for things like past tiles and favor tiles, you don't have to use on Snellman if you don't want to. You're still allowed to just click on things that show up. You can still click on the take button that shows up under Earth 1 if you don't want to call it Fave 11. 
that's the very difficult thing is yeah is people the people who are very into it will refer to earth one as fab 11 and i the, i mean i've let the favor tiles are all right because they're just basically the line it's as they appear you read it like a book yeah but the weird ones are the bonus scroll bonus tiles because they're all in a random order yeah the bonus scrolls are not they're not ordered great so it does make it hard when people refer to bond one and bond six uh to follow conversations yeah and the town tiles don't make that much sense either i have to admit so yeah um so i encourage people to refer to them as their full name when they're conversing yeah Um, that's not a problem i think that when talking with only Snellman people, I still like using the shortcut names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but anyway, what what are we getting at? We're getting at it's it's a bit daunting at first, but but like I said, you can always just like click on the take button that shows up. Exactly. There's nothing forcing you to call things awkwardly if you find the names awkward. Um, and the planner is really useful. And once you get used to the sort of, yeah, stripped down visuals, it kind of becomes more clear. Um, right. Because you know how much everyone likes the income displays for board game arena. Think about having not only that, but you can literally fast forward to a game state you're expecting based on your opponent's moves by inputting them into a planner and see exactly what everyone's situation looks like if a sequence you have in mind happens. And you can do just for your own sake, so you can figure out exactly how much economy you need to build for the next round to have to be able to build all the stuff you want to build next round also. You can figure out when you can get away with passing early easier. Uh, it does a lot of calculations for you if you're willing to use the planner. That is a very long answer to your question, Super. Does that answer your question? <laughs> I'm not sure I'm encouraged because I generally don't do maths and calculations. Well, that, that's great. Then you don't have to. You can, just, you can just say, what if I built four dwellings here, 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 and here this round? What would my economy be? And then I got this bonus tile. And then you're like, oh, crap, that's not enough coins to do the trading post round. Let me try a different plan. There's no calculator involved on your okay. end. All yeah. right, all right. <laughs> he sounds he sounds super enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, well, I I like this idea of you know just all right. I've I've got a bunch of resources. I'm just gonna build stuff, and then I don't have resources. Then I get them back, and I'm building a bunch of stuff, and that's pretty much it. And that's uh, that's why I play, and that's why I lose mostly. Um, but play yeah, Snellman, right. you'll win more. All right, uh, you got me there. You got me there. <laughs> but this is also the thing, super right. You're now you're playing like three minute blitz matches the, these last few days. So you've gone like the total opposite way of just going into super blitz mode. Yeah, I I don't have to think, so I'm doing quite okay. You're an instinctive. <laughs> you just play on feelings and instinct. Yeah, I'm just I'm just clicking things, and the things are doing their things, and that's how it goes. <laughs> love that um about that tm tour uh i'm not you're saying that it's like it's similar to the arena season or something like that 
it's just async place. So it's once every two months, right? Once every two months, you get automatically placed into four games. Uh huh. And you just have to do as well as you can in those four games. Uh, the four games put you in each starting seat once. So even though there's no auction, you'll have the first oh. seat for one of your games, second seat for another, third seat for your third game, and fourth seat in another game. So that compensates for you know being able to pick the best faction once or more if your opponents are generous uh, every season. Do you play with uh, the same op opponents, the same players, in every of those four games? You play each other person in your group twice, is how it ends up working. Okay. Because there are seven in a group. All right. Yeah, so no exact match will be duplicated, but you'll have a duplicate in each match. Yeah, it's quite clever how it works it out. What if you don't make it in those two months? You just... What do you mean you, if, you you don't get make, if the game doesn't finish? Yep. If the game doesn't finish, then uh, it doesn't count towards the, the tournament that season. Uh, wow. There is a timer for everyone's turns. And I think you get five days plus a day per round that the game has gone into. So if you reach the end of the game, everyone's time bank should be 11 days. And the time bank doesn't start until eight hours after the previous move. So that's how the timer system works. Very rarely, even when people are thinking hard and long in Division 1, do games not make it. I had a game last season where it went until the final day, but everyone was responsible enough to make sure it finished in time. That was kind of a stressful experience for me, because that was the first time a game had gotten that close to not finishing in one of my divisions. And I would say for the most part, in the lower divisions, as you're climbing the ladder, people are going pretty fast. Um, so you get two months for, for your league, but I'm looking at Division 5, and like a third of these Division 5 and even Division 4 leagues have just finished already. Like, EJ, your D4 league's done and has been for a while, right? Oh, George Shortwell, man. He, like, as soon as you make a move, he fires one straight back. I was, normally I'm the quickest, but I was struggling to keep up this time. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't have time to plan my moves. I don't think you can claim to not have time to make your move. You just didn't I could want to. I, yes, this is, that is certainly a fair point. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like it because I sort of budget it ends up being like a month on, a month off is a rough kind of way of budgeting it, which works well. Yeah, for all the lower leagues, that's a fair estimation. Uh, it's where you get into the upper leagues and people start carrying way too much, too much in quotes, of course, because I'm part of those, uh, where the games take longer and they kind of do take most of the two months to resolve. And... The important thing is the division system. So there are currently seven division divisions. Yeah, right. So it is a it is a pyramid setup because in from each group of seven, you get one person promoted to the above league and two people demoted to the league below, unless you're already in D seven, the lowest one. Um, so each division only supports half as many leagues as the division below it. So it's very competitive to, to try to advance. You have to be the top one out of seven. 
for the most part. Yeah, okay. So we go Division 1 is one league, Division 2 is two, Division 3 is four, and we double as we go down. And then that means that it's not as easy as thinking of Division 3 as being like halfway between Division 1 and Division 7 sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's a challenge to get through all these divisions. And I don't know if um, you guys noticed this, but in some ways it's a fluke that I ended up in Division 1. Not from my performance in Division 2, but from my performance in Division 3. Because the season I got promoted from D3 to D2, I finished third out of seven in my group. And it was only because a total of three people who were supposed to be in Division 2 decided not to play that season. Ah, okay, so you got a sort of lucky jump. Oh yeah, I can see season 38, League 3, position third, and you jumped up. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. So I somehow found my spot in Division 2 completely unexpected. Uh, when, so when the seasons are starting, I, I'm logged on and I'm interested in seeing my games for the next season. I'm expecting to see, you know, D3, League 1 through 4, somewhere in there, evaluate my positions against the same people I'd, same caliber of player I'd been playing against previously. And then when I look at the game names, it's all like Division 2, I'm like, what in the world happened here? <laughs> what kind of crazy thing happened where I'm all of a sudden playing against these people who have won TM Tour before? <laughs> but you clearly held your own, because then in that first time in division two you came second and then you've won your division two the your second time in it so yeah you're yeah. really capable at that level right and i actually think that goes to show that a lot of people who are doing well in d3 even if they are somewhat unlucky season after season to not get the promotion to d2 i i mean the quality of play in these top few divisions is really really high even if the people don't have you know accolades yet many people are still capable of playing very strong games. Yeah, so if you're in Division 2, you're in the top 20. Yeah, yeah. Of everyone. And then if you're in Division 3, you're in the top... Uh, 40, right? Yeah, exactly. Because it doubles so, yeah. or something like that. Well, maybe not. It's top 50, let's say. Um, but there's big names at all of those levels. And yeah, the standard is obviously high. Yeah. Um, so from, yeah, so I guess kind of, well, I, okay. So yeah, the question is, did you, did you set out, like, obviously everyone is aiming to get to Div 1. That's why we all play. But were you like really focused on trying to get there or were you just playing your seasons and trying to win? I was just trying to do my best and see how far I could go. I, if you asked me even... A year before I got to D2, whether I had any chances of getting to D1, I would be laughing at you. Um, mm -hmm. No, I, I never imagined that it would be a thing where I would play in D1 and manage to stay in D1. Uh, I know it says I got second place last season in D1, but uh, until the last couple days, I was projecting myself to come in fourth based on the results of other games. It's kind of a very strange coincidence of 
you know, final round events that led me to somehow be in second. Um, so for my standards, I don't really treat it as coming in second in D1. I treat it as a solid 11 tournament point performance in D1. Which, if you look at where 11 tournament points ranks in, like, all the Division 2s and Division 3s, it's, like, right in the middle. 11 points is almost never second place. Uh, If I'm scrolling down that season, I don't see 11 or less in second place in Division 2, Division 3, Division 4, Division 5. I'm looking in Division 6, I don't see any yet. Like, it's completely fluky. Mm, so you had like a very close match for close division for second place for the middle positions, yeah, yeah. But you came in second in Div One uh, behind Doctors P last season, which is a very cool achievement. It's cool, but it's cool in the same way that I'm still technically the Agricola national champion, even though <laughs> I competed for four years. <laughs> yeah. Um, are there many? players from board game arena that are playing in div one uh there are a few right i think uh who's in d1 this season it's dr sp who currently plays some snellman as dr sp jt i think fat cat has played some snellman before maybe not much starman has played plenty of Snell- uh, bga he's like 570 or something last i checked matt the lesser has been playing on bga now and is in f2o this current tournament as well yeah so you could say that half of division one plays on bga and what would you so yeah where do we how do where do we equate the levels you know are we saying Mm -mm. can we yeah i was thinking you might ask this (laughs) i think something ryan has said before i very much agree with i'm not sure if he said it on this podcast uh or not but At some level, async is a different game than live play. Yep. For the same reasons that live play is a different game than bullet play. Yes. Right? Because the level of thinking you get to perform changes the shape of the game, in my opinion. In Division 1, you have to be extremely precise in everything that you do. In live play, you can get away with a couple mistakes, and in bullet, you can get away with many mistakes, I would assume. So, it's really, to me, that you have to think about the curve on how much thinking, how much brain power is given to every move, creates a slightly different version of Terra Mystica. Mm -hmm. So, one thing I've been able to do, now that I'm not playing Snellman, uh, a TM tour season for the first time in a couple of years is I've been able to put all my Terra Mystica energy into live play and my board game arena rating has shot up. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's because I get to be happy focusing more on my live games. That's very interesting. So yeah, you broke, is it true that you broke 600 uh, master level for the first time? Well, Master's 700, unfortunately. Sorry. But yeah, I'm, I'm well above 600, and I have been for maybe four or five games now. Um, yeah, and I guess there's one other factor which I haven't explained yet. It's that because Terra Mystica is not my only game, I 
have like a limited mental budget for it. Like I don't have unlimited mental space to think about Terra Mystica. So when I'm playing TM tour seasons, I actually consciously make an effort to not play Terra Mystica very much outside of those games. So that when a key moment occurs in a D1 game, I have the brain power and willingness to think about a position in depth. And if I have like a three game losing streak in live board game arena play over a course of two days, I'm not going to have that motivation to, to play Snellman games in detail. Sure. So I have to manage my own quantities of Terra Mystica play. Uh, as a personal requirement so that means now that i'm not playing tm tour i get to you know focus more on live play this okay so this is great because this is this is what i kind of the main thing i wanted to get at is is that is like what it's like playing in that div one and you said earlier that for you it's very similar to how you played other divisions but that sounds like maybe so you're playing the other divisions in the same way before? That is true. I was treating, yeah, I was treating by the time I got to D4, I was treating all my games with like a good amount of respect. I was doing a lot of work in the planner. I was thinking about the game a lot while it was other players' turns, stuff like that. And I think that's a big part of how I did so well is that I put a lot of time into it. Mm, yeah and it is that um what's the phrasing you use sort of a mental budget and you're spending your mental budget right so and in terms of the planning are you uh, sometimes you can load it up and you can just make a move quickly or are mm-hmm. you are you planning every move in much detail or like that's a good question so In one of my non-TM Tour games, it might have been a Fjords League game, uh, I was playing with, or against, Ozymandias DK, who is one of the top-rated players on Snellman. Yep, yep. And we were comparing how we thought about the game and how much analysis we were doing right after the game ended. And it was kind of agreed upon by everyone in the game that at the start of round six, everyone had put in the planner exactly what they expected the other players to do in round six. So for the end game, I think at the high levels, pretty much everyone puts in every faction into the planner and tries to estimate what the final results are going to look like. Yeah, because that's, I guess we, I guess you did say it, but you can plan other people's moves. Right. And you can see what everyone's resources end up looking like and stuff like that. Before that point in the game, I don't really look at other players too much. I kind of try to get a sense of what they're going for based on which faction they are and uh, just in general what their resources look like. I very rarely make specific plans for other factions before round six, Mm -hmm. uh, except for me. Most of my planner use in the early game is looking about two rounds ahead, seeing how much economy... Like, if I get my ideal sequence of things, including past tiles, where will I be? Am I happy with this? And then I go back and look at 
you know, what points of this are realistic and what aren't. Like, Swarmlings might, like, for example, if Swarmlings are in the game, I should delete all times where I expected myself to get the big building pass tile after taking six moves, right? That's not going to happen. I need to revise my plans. If I see that, oh, this plan has me uh, with no trading posts on the board and uh, at the end of round four and I'm not passing on to a coins tile, well, I need to revise my plan uh, to get an early pass somewhere to try to take the seven coins action. So I do do some pretty detailed look into my own faction's needs and making sure that I have a cohesive grasp on what my next couple rounds look like. So would it be fair to say that sometimes you do just open it and take a move, but in, that, in those circumstances... Oh, yes, because if you manage to plan out something pretty cohesive and spend a couple hours on it, per se, uh, for example, um, that does mean when it's your turn a couple times, the next couple times it's your turn, you can literally just cut the line out from the planner, paste it into the, the game window, and click send, and your move is done. You don't have to spend more than 10 seconds of thought on it. You can do it from your phone without worrying you'll mess something up. Um, so in that sense, it's just investing your move time ahead of time. Mm. Yeah, this is good. So I'd be, I'd be interested to hear from other people listening to this what their view on is it view on this is and like compared to what division they're playing. But my question was going to be: Do you always have a full round planned ahead? But you're saying that normally you have in the early game a couple of rounds at least roughly planned. Uh. For for really competitive games or games where I'm not happy with my position, yes. Mm. I think there are enough games where that have happened where I'm lazier and don't really plan out everything and I kind of know what I'm supposed to do and I'm capable of handling that without a planner. Like if I'm Darklings with no color neighbor, which I guess never happened. But, like, I know how to get my sanctuary in round one or two, right? That's not, that's not a challenge. I don't need to figure out the specifics. I can just look, oh, is the coins pass tile here now? Yeah, that's better than the dwelling scoring pass tile. Like, a, a lot of times it doesn't need the complexity of a planner. But there are situations where that planner really saves you. Let's um let's check in with Super. How are you feeling about this Super? Is this making you want to play TM Tour or not? <laughs> A little bit, yeah. Um, I was wondering. Um, I never seen this um, Snellman tool planning. Um, does it allow you to you know save your um, estimations and future moves, or do you need yeah. to keep it in spreadsheet somewhere for every single game? You can save. Uh, one set of moves in each game and continue revising it as you see fit. I have had got to the point where I've had a note with like dwelling line and then like a load of, a wall of text that I've copied and pasted and then like yep. stronghold line and a wall of text that I've copied and pasted. But you have to yeah. do that outside of the planner. Yeah, exactly. Like if you want to plan different kinds of lines, you can either comment all the things out with a pound sign or you can uh, use a Google Doc. Like I have this Google Doc I call TM Planning Scrap, where currently I have the remnants of my planning tools from <laughs> alternate lines in my previous season. 
the the thing that shows up first is a game I was in where it's the start of round six and I had planned six moves for myself, five moves for cultists, eight moves for engineers, and seven moves for witches. And are you using, other than the planning to, is this what you were sort of getting at, Supras? Are you using any kind of like spreadsheets or projections or anything like that? And are you looking... Are you looking on that on an individual game basis? And then are you looking at that in the end result of the division as a whole because you've got these individual games and then they all come together to give you your final score? Are you looking at games interlinked with each other? I'm not sure if I've worded that very well. I'm generally not looking at uh, the games linked to each other until it's the end of the season and I might have to worry about trying to manipulate my position better. But it's almost never the case where I'm trying to fight to exit the relegation zone or I'm trying to fight with someone else for first place in the league. Um, you know, sometimes I check, but it turns out that it almost never matters between games. I, yeah, and I guess it's it's probably worth saying at this point that you don't have to be putting this much mental budget into playing in tm tour if people are oh not at all you can yeah and i think if you're if you're a decent if you're a say like a good or a strong player you will be perfectly happy in div seven and div six and that yeah like you'll 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 still have good games it's right but i think it probably would be fair to say that you're not going to get in div one without these kind of efforts would you say that's fair to say yeah, you probably it'll be it'll be very hard for you to reach division two without having use of the planner tool, I'd say. And I think uh, Ryan is actually a great example of this because he doesn't use the planning tools much, and he's and I don't think Mike Chike does either. But both of them, when they're playing in TM Tour, they've been reliably able to stay in D three and find it very hard to get into D two. Mm. Mm. And they are a couple of the best live players right so i think that's probably a good exemplary exemplary line of how far you can get playing more or less normally without doing all these fancy things that i'm describing yeah yeah uh and yeah so at the top level is yeah it's obviously high would you say that it's can you make like a single mistake in a game in a in one of the top level games or does every move have to be kind of on point that's a good question i guess i guess like what it's hard to there there are no sort of i don't know it's hard to define a mistake isn't it in terror like there are good moves on the spectrum and yeah because you could be inefficient with your own economy building and i think if you make that kind of mistake in round one your chances do go down significantly and then you can make a mistake in round six where you don't realize that this hex was available for network or for network blocking, and that would count as a serious mistake and kill your winning chances uh, because that kind of thing is noticed by everyone. Uh, but, you know, there are the mistakes like, oh, I spent my cult spade here when I meant to spend it here, and then the next round nobody goes after your hexes regardless. So uh, I think it's a lot more important to minimize your mistakes in asynchronous games, especially in Division 1. 
But I would say there's still a couple here and there which still don't really matter much if you make small mistakes. And then on the time element, it's notable that Division 1 consistently is slower to finish. A laggard, yeah. And But you sort of suggesting that you're not spending... You didn't think you were spending more time on it when you are in Div 1, but do you think that in general people are spending more time? Yes. Yes, I do think the higher in the divisions you're playing, the more time people will spend either using the planner or procrastinating using the planner. So you'll have to slow down at some point, George. You can't keep pumping in those moves. <laughs> you can have to stop and think. That's right, George. <laughs> and honestly, uh, the extremely slow pace of some of these Division One games is one of the reasons I took a break, is because thinking about the games that were consistently on other people's timers was kind of stressful for me. Okay, so yeah, this is this is kind of the I guess like the 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 last thing I wanted to ask about you you playing it and it's something that I saw Zavok had mentioned he was mm-hmm. consistently in Div One and then I think somewhere I've seen a thread where he mentioned and Steve four nine six has mentioned it as well that the slow pace or, or people were starting to take longer and right. that was a reason why Zavok stopped and so you're saying that. That, that's a factor in you because you've not played in the current season as we mentioned and Correct. this was a factor in you deciding to take a break yes it's uh it's one of a few factors that i considered but it definitely mattered and i did communicate that to the people i was in games with in the post-game chats as a reason for me uh not playing this season uh and i also think one of the other factors is that i don't know i think it's kind of cool to be one of the very few players who has left tm tour while still eligible for d1 sure so if you yeah like if you rejoined you would be put in div one that's how it works is it uh the rejoin rules are you will take the the highest possible space that's open after doing the normal promotions so if i want to be reinserted into d1 i have to do it in a season where someone who doesn't get relegated is dropping or someone who gets promoted is dropping. Okay. And also, it has to happen in a season where, let's say, Zevok wants to get in D1 back into it. He has priority over me because he has a better history. Sure. So it's, it's, it's most likely that if I try to randomly get back into it one season, I'll be in D2 or D3. Okay. Okay. Um... But so, yeah, so you, you said about the post-game chat, you just said, I mean, you're, you're not, <laughs> I presume you're not causing aggro or anything, but you're just saying, like, you were just commenting on the fact that it was taking a lot of time, or are you suggesting that people should be speeding up, or what, what are you sort of thinking in that way? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't remember exactly what I said. Um, I can go look at it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, because this is the stuff that, yeah, I probably never will experience, and most people have no real idea of what it's like. Uh, yeah, okay, so the first game that finished, I'll, I'll paraphrase and say that someone else in the game commented that the pace of play was awful, and then I agreed saying the pace is bad, 
and it's a reason I'm thinking of dropping out of TM Tour regardless of my finish. Also noting that the board game arena scene is pretty good. Sure, sure. See if I what else I noticed or mentioned. This game I didn't mention anything about dropping. This game I didn't mention anything about dropping. But one of the other players apologized for their slowness. Mm. And then the last game that finished, I did say, I'm going to take at least a season off. Uh, I guess I didn't say in this one either that pace of play was a reason, just in the first game that ended. Sure, okay. That's fair. I, as an aside, I would encourage people to feel free to, after your TM Tour games, feel free to have a discussion. I noticed that that's something that the higher up you get, the more likely people are to actually comment on what happened and have a bit of a post-game breakdown, because it's good to do. I would suggest to not be afraid of opening up conversations based on like just saying, this was a move I found interesting from you, and then that starts a conversation. Mm. And that can be pretty fun. Uh, I also suggest that for board game arena games, if you find... Uh, a game interesting for specific reasons. I think chatting about it with with new people always like has a chance of opening up the community, meeting someone new. Um, I actually have a tiny bit of pride in being the person that invited Barnawal to uh, the greater Terra Mystica community mm. and telling him about Fire to Open and stuff like that. Uh, it was. I don't remember what game it was, but it was just like a random game. I was playing him uh, and we had some good talk about how the game went. And I was like, yeah, you should look at these things. Cool, man. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, so definitely I would suggest to everyone in Terra Mystica world and gaming world in general, talk strategy after your games happen. Talk yeah. to people. Yeah, that. Yeah, and because it, it, it is a bit weird when you just play a game and then everyone sort of silently leaves and it's nice to yeah have a little bit of friendliness for sure yeah well i say silently leave as in like text you know online right silent. um being of strategy um yeah before we take too long here i uh also wanted to ask about um because i've never played on snowman i have no idea how things work out there um but I'm curious about, because you guys mentioned that there is no auction system there. So is it like they use the uh, adjust VP um, idea there? Or how does it look like when you pick a faction? Not in, not in TM Tour. So if you want to set up a random game, you can use the adjusted VP. But uh, TM Tour, just everyone gets 20 to start. So... Yeah, and like if you're fourth seat, there's a chance here that the other players have picked Darklings, Cultist Engineers already. So that kind of stuff happens. Uh, so that definitely switches meta a bit, right? What's strong and what's not. Yes. Um, you can uh, you can adjust it by action. Um, could you um, give an example or explain how? Um, how different the the meta in um, on Snellman is um, in comparison to the board game arena. Are there sure. very diff are there different strategies like I don't know tall swarmlings that are non-existent or something like that? Ah, uh, I'm not sure there are ever strategies which you see on board game arena that don't exist. 
um, on Snellman. I think the same set of strategies are just as viable. Because in the end, you're trying to maximize your own points. And I don't think that your starting VP values should affect what you consider to be your best track at maximizing your points. Mm. So the same set of openings that you see, like Dwelling Rushes or uh, Tall Swarmlings or, you know, Giants, if you want to try that, like that all exists just as often on TM Tour or Snellman games. The meta shift, if you're playing TM Tour, is that in some faction matchups, well, for one, you want to try to stick yourself into a, as good of a faction matchup as possible. I think it's been proven that uh, looking at the set of factions in the game first and foremost is the best way to guess at who's going to win, who's going to come in second, etc. So you want to look at the setup, and I think the best way to choose factions in TM Tour is to try to guess at what the final group of four factions are going to be, and then pick the best possible faction out of those four that it still remains. Ah, uh, uh, that's interesting. So when I'm looking, so I'm not doing that kind of, I've not made that jump yet. I'm just looking and thinking Darklings is the best here. I'm going to pick Darklings. But actually I should be thinking Darklings are going to get picked, but so are Mermaids and so are Cultists and then maybe Darklings. So you should pick Engineers. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um. To get to that level of thinking, you also have to make some assumptions about your opponents. You have to assume that your opponents are thinking uh, the lines that make mermaids have like value in that scenario that you're bringing up. You have to... One thing I like to do is look at my opponent's histories and see if they are too shy on playing witches or if they pick witches into engineers happily or stuff like that. Uh, so you have to get into other people's heads sometimes. <laughs> and in the lower divisions, like this thought process is just useless because you never know what people are thinking, even in the high divisions. And in the low divisions, there's just a lot more variance. So, I mean, EJ, if you, uh, if you get promoted into D3 based on someone leaving, uh, which I think is probably likely, you have a very high score, even though you got second in your division. Like, if you end up in D3, that's when I think starting to think about matchups in that way is best but okay. when you're in d4 d5 d6 i think the way you're describing is like totally valid darklings are best here it's a round four spade game let me just pick darklings and move on like that's totally valid i'm using um quite often similar strategy of uh you know picking for factions in on board game arena. So for example, when I see a, I'm in the first seat and I see a very good set of four fakirs, for example, um, which I love to play, obviously. Um, and that's every setup, right? Every setup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if there's a particular particularly good one, right? And I'm in the first seat, I don't want I don't want to put fakirs in the first seat with a bad pass style. So instead uh -huh. I'm for example picking mermaids, you know, because Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, and I want, and I'm, and then I'm uh, waiting for somebody to pick fuckers, uh, which may happen or may not. And, and they I'm might pick to... nomads instead, and then you yell at them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I'm leaving the game then, and that's it. Um, yeah, but um, that the idea of 
every faction starting at 20 VP uh, creates some questions like, are there, for example, do you see Oren very often in Division 1? No. Or in their team through in general? I mean... You do miss out on a few factions. I think you're right on that. Uh, because they're just less robust. I think there are a couple people who actively pick Orin more than they probably should. Like uh, Green Rain and Hukim do pick a lot of Orin relatively. Um, Ozymandias has what I consider to be a famous game in TM Tour history. Uh, he picked Orin in D2 from the first seat once and won that game. Uh, so it, it's rare. I think there's one Giants pick this season in D1, but I don't expect it to go well. Uh, yeah, I don't think Mermaids are ever really having a chance at first place in D1 these days. So you mostly see the same uh, bunch of factions in almost every single game, probably. Like Cultists, Darklings. Yeah, exactly. And this is a point that I was expecting to want to make that haven't hasn't been made yet. But if you get high into the TM Tour divisions, you could argue that the meta is very boring or stale. Or EJ, you might have brought this up already. This is the yeah. This is what I want to discuss. Yeah, like what's your opinion on this? Yes. So if you want to make that argument, fine. You know that's it's valid. My counter is that if you make that argument, you haven't looked deep enough into the matchup. I think as if you want to be a top-level player, you have to be curious about the details of these matchups. So even if something happens as often as Darklings, Cultists, Engineers, Witches, you want to be thinking about what starting spots affect what. What, like, even as small as, like, a small opening decision, how will that shape the game if Darklings change up their dwelling openings, how does that change the game? Because there are some like very well-established things, but West Center Engineers hasn't been explored too much in that matchup. Like Where Darklings open doesn't usually change from Center and East. Um, if Engineers choose to be blocked off by witches in the east, then they go tall. That's been pretty well established to sometimes have success. Like, you have to be curious about these things. You want to, like, know in what situations cultists manage to pull out the wins as the favorite. But, you know, in D1 last season, Darklings won that matchup more often than cultists, which I find pretty interesting. And the endgame points weren't even close in a couple of them. Like, the game I won... I scored 169 as Darklings, and cultists weren't even close to that. Like, how did I manage to do that when cultists are the overwhelming favorite in that matchup? I think these are things you have to be curious about if you want to really reach the top level of TM Tour and to consider what many people might call a stale meta as an evolving meta. Mm. Because I think it's evolving, even if season by season the progress might be slow. If you look across the seasons, there has been change. You just need to look for it in different places. Yes. It's, yeah, I like that. It's too simplistic to say everyone picks these factions and that's stale, when actually there's a lot more going on. Right, because if the same factions are getting picked and they're all opening in the same spots and the final score is always Cultus 150, Darklings 140, 
which is an engineer's 130, then you have a case. But that's not what happens. Sure. That's, yeah, that's a really cool way of thinking about it. And, and I, yeah, also, like you said, there have been gradual or, yeah, somewhat gradual meta shifts. Right. And a couple of these are, like I mentioned, like Darklings won more than Cultists in that matchup last season in D1. But also, we've seen a shift in that Cultists are the first pick in that matchup now. Uh, or generally, Cultists are the first pick, whereas it used to be Darklings being the first pick. Um, so that's going to change some things. Uh, I was planning on making a YouTube video last month, actually, and I just never found the time. But I, I was going to make a video about the TM Tour meta and the current shifts and what I would suggest the sh shifts to continue to be as. Uh, but uh, maybe eventually I'll get around to it. Mm, I'd, be, I'd be very interested because, yeah, I think it sounds like you have a, a keen idea of yeah, what's going on there in more detail. I like it. Yeah. I think my argument as well, so I, I, again, I think it's valid to say it would be nice if, yeah, Auron and Giants could play in, in TM Tour. But I, and I'm, let's have a go verbalizing this. I think you kind of need the TM Tour setup to sort of, we need that development of which is the best faction and like who wins these matchups and who, which is the best game and the best faction at, at some level like that has to happen and we need, kind of need that experimentation to develop yeah the like optimum meta and if tm tour wasn't doing that there wouldn't be that kind of evolution at the very top end of the best factions do you know what i mean right because you'd have some of the top players just claiming darklings are the best and they there's the whole crowd that believes them and then there's the couple top players who say oh you know witches are the most robust or cultists are best and you'd have those tribes basically and yeah exactly and but we've got this proving ground and it and the other thing is it gives you is this like incredibly rich data set which people mm -hmm. have analyzed but we have this thing where every two months all the factions go head to head to decide almost which is the best faction as well as the best players you've got which is the best faction. You know, that's a great point I had never considered before, EJ. Like, the TM Tour ecosystem needs to be appreciated more than complained about. And, yeah, and I think you and, you and Ranuit were saying this, it's folly to say... How do we like what should we do to change TM Tour? And some people have had that discussion. It's interesting to discuss in the ab abstract, but practically it won't happen. But my argument would always be that you need TM Tour as it is. It's like this thing that's been going and it shouldn't be changed, but it's fine to make it's good to think about other things and, and like we can add alternatives and other things. But I think, yeah, like I think. Players like Hugh Kim, who intentionally don't pick the three most common factions, that's a great thing. Like, Hugh Kim picks a lot of Orin and Dwarves and has picked Fakirs a few times and picks Mermaids and Swarmlings a lot. Uh, that's one of the things I've considered doing if I rejoin TM Tour is intentionally choose some lesser-played factions and just reprove that they are worse than Darklings or Cultists, you know? <laughs> Uh, I think that's, yeah, I agree with, with what you're saying.
Um, yeah, I'd certainly be interested to hear more from you about about this uh, this topic. But um, yeah, such a video. I'm definitely joining Snowman and Team Tour. So <laughs> we convinced him, everyone. We got there. Uh, yeah, and I think going back to one thing you were saying, EJ, is that. Uh, if you want to change TM Tour, that's wrong. I think that I agree with that. If you don't like TM Tour, don't join. And if you're curious about how it works, join. Like, it's not hard. If you don't want to do something, don't do it. This is a, a part of life where you do have that control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, I don't know. Maybe it would be nice if you had the option of auction on Snellman. Again, there are reasons why it, it won't happen. But... Yeah, it won't happen. But I, I think it's, I don't know, what's my point? Yeah, you can uh, dream about it, but, you know, as long as you keep it in dream world, fine. Yeah, it's, I think it's, I mean, for, it's an incredible site and it's, yeah, it's so good. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. Um We've convinced Super to join, but what? So, what is your future for it, Lumin? You, like we said, you got you had two to two seasons in Div One, and you came in second, and then you've taken a break. Is that an indefinite break, or yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's indefinite. Um, I've kind of proven to myself enough. You know, as a test of skill, I've, I've gotten there. Yep. And I do notice myself being slightly less curious about all those details about the faction matchups that I was talking about. And honestly, on Board Game Arena, I'm still not finding myself playing a ton of Terra Mystica. I feel like I've got, you know, I'm not sure I want to say mastery as the appropriate word, but, you know, <laughs> close enough for my own standards in a lot of ways. Um, and with great games coming out on Board Game Arena soon, not only Agricola, but Great Western Trail that I'm passionate about, uh, it might be a while before I find enough time for TM Tour again. Sure. Or if I do decide to play TM Tour, that does mean it's more likely I'll take the Hukim route and be happy messing around in D3 with weird factions. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. That's, that's good and yeah if that's what yeah like you said it's certainly an achievement to have got there and if you're yeah you can be comfortable with that that's, that's right really, that's a healthy way of thinking about it i think yeah Definitely. um i actually learned that from uh playing golf in my childhood because golf is a game where you can cheat and take shortcuts because it's only your own score that matters but if you do that you're not gonna improve as much um, so it's really in a lot of parts of my life I've learned to you know set my own goals and be strict about them and then be happy when I accomplish them and not care as much about what other people might consider ah so good I love that that's great yeah um okay super have we have we satisfied all your questions about tm tour is there anything else you wanted to ask only took you two hours to convince me to play there 
That's all right. Yeah, I feel kind of bad for going on so many tangents that aren't directly Terra Mystica related. Yeah, we've sort of recorded an Agricola slash, I don't know, something else podcast. Baton and TM podcast, yeah. Well, it was never... It was never agreed upon what the podcast is supposed to be about, so I guess that's right. And I mean, related to Fire 2, there's like other things we can talk about, like the casting experience, and then there's uh, a couple of TM tour things that I thought might come up, and it's fine that they didn't, but like I have a couple of my best games or seasons that I am happy to share with the next time there's time, stuff like that. There's there's more to talk about for sure. Oh, I I would certainly be interested to do that. Uh-huh. Uh, one more question uh, that's not related actually to I believe anything that we've talked about. Um, because since you're so you know experienced and knowledgeable on Terramistica and board games in general, um, I quite recently realized how many things uh, are happening right now around around Terramistica. Um, including Snellman, Fire to Open, um, you know, Tuesday League uh, made by Zorus and uh, Q1, um, mm-hmm. a lot of other things. And this podcast, for example, and Fire to Open going into social media, thanks to EJ and Ghostly. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, is there anything else uh, in any actually uh, field, um, maybe of life, um, that we as a community could do? You know, to Pretoria Mystica to uh, explore um, different fields, or you know, so that it's um, people can notice it. I I don't know, like Netflix TV series on uh, Terra Mystica, <laughs> where I know the main protagonist is swarming that tries to you know wants to build it. Yeah, oh my gosh. And, you know, but is there anything that you've ever uh, thought about that could? That we could do or could could happen. There's one. There's one community-related thing that uh, is on my wish list, right? Uh, and that is uh, Fire Two Live, Fire Two Tournament Live, basically. Um, and that uh, in person. Yeah. So the best possible way to implement that kind of thing would be WBC 2022. Um, in late July, early August next year. Terra Mystica is not an official WBC event based on like having uh, not enough followers at the convention, as I'm sure Ryan talked about enough. Um, but there is a way to guarantee an event happens, and that's by becoming a sponsor of WBC and paying a $500 membership. So as a community, I don't think we'd have trouble uh, cobbling up the 400 extra dollars to bring a regular membership to a sponsor-level membership and guaranteeing Terra Mystica as an event. If there are 50 of us or more from the community who want to play a Terra Mystica tournament at WBC and meet each other at WBC and play all these other tournaments at WBC, I think this is a very possible thing to do, especially with a year of notice. Oh... Yes, that's cool, man. That's cool. So I've I've started proposing this idea here and there, but as we get closer, we should probably you know elevate the volume on this 
And, you know, Bizzle could put a stamp on this if he wants unofficially. Um, or it could be an official WBC tournament. Have you mentioned it to Bizzle? No, no. Okay, so, okay. I think the most important step is making sure that there are enough people that want to play a live tournament at this convention and meet each other. Because it's kind of like in a rural part of the country. It's not the easiest to get to. Uh, you have to, like, arrange for housing and stuff like that. Uh, so it's a serious time commitment. Is it like a ski resort in Pennsylvania, basically? Exactly. It's a ski resort in the skiing off-season in Pennsylvania. See, I like skiing. Can I, stay, can I ski and then stay there until the championships? It's a long wait. <laughs> I don't know if you want to spend four months of your life in rural Pennsylvania, but if you want to, <laughs> I'm not going to stop you. Playing Terra Mystic, I was wrong about that. Training. I'll be in like a... It'd be like a training montage of me just sat there every day, getting my hours in. Ah, oh, that's <laughs> yeah, that, that that's a cool idea, man. Um, yeah, like an in-person thing. It would be. I I really like the idea of that. And yeah, yeah, we'd all get to meet each other in person, play all these other games, also like realize who's also good at these things and congratulate them when they win or do well in another tournament. Yeah. yeah. Mystic community over WBC, that would be a fun story. Yeah, all these people. Okay. Uh yeah, I'd I'd like I I'd I'd certainly be interested in something like that. I'd have to work out the, how I get myself and how we all come across from Europe. But um yeah, that's cool. And if people are interested, yeah, like let's let's talk about it or let's talk to Lumin and, and let's Start researching flights to Pittsburgh and back. Uh, the end of July, early August. Let me just get those dates. July 23rd, 2022 to July 31st, 2022. So try to arrive in Pittsburgh like between July 20th and 22nd, 2022, and leave Pittsburgh August 1st, 2022. <laughs> But even I guess it would be very cool for it to be WBC. But even something like that, uh, anywhere would be a fun thing, right? And you know what? One thing we could do is just like a, if we don't want to spend the five hundred dollars to get it uh, official, we could all agree to get there a day ahead of time and play the tournament that day. Stuff like that. Yeah, like rent a, a well in in England we'd call it a village hall, but rent like a a a little hall somewhere and we'll do it. We could just use the convention space, honestly. It would be open yeah. the day before, I think. There so. we go. Oh, that's a fun idea. Yeah, let's let's talk about that, everyone. Yeah. Cool. Uh and yeah, if you are in um if you are in London for MSO stuff at any point, I guess it's online this year, but yeah, do yeah. give us a shout and for sure. Me and Ghostly will be down there. Say hi. Uh great. Uh, yeah, like thanks very much again. Very generous time. I mean, if if you cut out all the non-terroristic stuff, I won't be offended. Yeah, I, I'll um, I I like it. I'm interested in it, and I, <laughs> cool. I, I maybe in a way it, it gets we can convince some of your Agricola friends to listen and <laughs> get them more involved in terror. Um, I I I do like it. It explains kind of like where you come from and. Um, yeah gives a bit of context so i 
I do like it, and it's it's really interesting to talk it through. So, well, thanks for having me. It's definitely fun to talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah, these things are fun. Like I just enjoy. <laughs> even if no, I've said this a few times. Even if nobody listens, I'd still make these because I just like having these conversations. And right. it's cool talking to people like you who I've like I've spoken to in text and heard your voice a lot, but I've never actually spoken to. So it's um, mm-hmm. it's really good fun. Cool. Uh, but yeah, uh, we'll let you get on and yeah, enjoy the rest of your holiday. And yeah, really nice talking to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. Yeah, enjoy the 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 evening, you guys. Thanks again.